You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! The crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Please be seated. Thank you, Eric. You ever been to one of those water parks in Texas? Maybe you've seen these dotting the landscape. Maybe you've taken your kids there. Maybe you've uh, taken your friends there. Maybe you've taken your grandkids there. They have taken you there. And maybe if you've been, you know now you never want to go back. All good, no worries. Our family loves them. We like to go. And almost always at all these water parks, there's this giant river that encircles the park, that moves to the park. And depending on which one you go to, there's frequently this giant machine that creates this enormous wave. It shoots a huge current of water that flows around the park at high speeds and flings everybody together, the whole sea of humanity, pun intended, forward and on top of each other, sunscreen, sun hats, all together. Now, you know that once you get in the water, you don't create the wave. You just ride the wave, which is what everyone else does in a current, except 
except Jesus of Nazareth during the last week of his life. In the last week of his life, Jesus is like a man who both creates and rides a wave. He is creating and is riding the wave he creates. Now, Jesus on what is called Palm Sunday, we call it that due to the palm branches, the gospel writer John tell us that people waved in front of his face that day. Jesus here in this passage, he is entering the capital city of Jerusalem. He is intentionally creating wave after wave of emotion, wave after wave of controversy, as we'll see, wave after wave of electric public reaction, and when it all builds to a giant crescendo, he jumps in the wave he has created, and he rides it all the way to a bitter end. How did Jesus create and ride the wave of popularity that ultimately broke bad? What does he do on Palm Sunday that made Good Friday inevitable? Jesus here does four things. We'll get them as we go through the passage together. Here we go on Palm Sunday. Number one, Jesus starts this wave as he, number one, as he restores. Okay, what does he restore? Let's see it. On his way to the capital, this happens. We heard it. Uh, And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, hang on. What name do the blind men call him? Yeah, it's on the screen. We can read it together. Okay. Son of David. Yeah, what does this mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the son of David referred back to Israel's greatest king, King David. He was the warrior king who defeated Israel's enemies. He united all the people. He brought peace, prosperity to the land. And over time, through the centuries, the term son of David came to refer to the Messiah, the one who would be descended from David. He would come at Israel's darkest moment and put everything right. The son of David was to be the warrior king who would heal the land and free the people. And therefore, as Jesus goes, these two men are blind men are basically crying out, oh great and true king, oh Messiah, the one about whom all our scriptures speak, have mercy on us, oh great king. And when he is called the great king. What does Jesus do? It says this, he touches their eyes. Why does he do this? Why did he touch them? Here's why. Because that's what great kings do. The hand, come on somebody, is the symbol of divine authority. And what did these hands do? They healed. It says immediately they received their sight. As one great writer said of a great fictional king, the hands of a king are the hands of a healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. See, all through Jesus' ministry, he's always telling people to be silent who figured out who he really was. He's always telling people who saw through his, you know, his, his mild-mannered Clark Kent disguise with the glasses. Come on, Superman fools nobody. Anyway, to be quiet. But now these men are yelling out, Son of David! And he doesn't silence them. Instead, he reaches out and restores them. In other words... The wave has begun. The wave's begun. Let me ask you today, what thing do you need touched in your life? Restored. Why not call out today, oh, great king, son of David, have mercy on me. May may, may or may not know this, but uh, two weeks ago to the day, a few minutes before our 9 o'clock service here on a Sunday at Mosaic, one of my sons had 
out of the blue, a, a violent seizure. He's rushed to the hospital. Now he's doing better, doing good, but it sure was scary. And so I preached at 9 a.m., rushed to the hospital. He woke up and asked me to come. So that's why I wasn't here at Mosaic North for the 11 or 12.30, if you're wondering where I was. Again, much love, so much thanks to all of you who sent a card or a note or a meal or a text to our, our family that week. But here's my point. In that moment, you know what my wife did? She didn't just call on the ambulance, though that's good. And we're so thankful, so grateful for them. She called on Jesus. She said, Morgan, I couldn't stop calling on Jesus. Why? Because the hands of a king, the hands of a healer. First, Jesus restores. Number two, next, he rides. He rides. Next, Jesus calls for both a donkey and a colt to be brought to him so he can ride them. Why? Well, he's doing two things. First, he is fulfilling what the prophet and writer Zechariah had said centuries before that the son of David would do. Zechariah wrote this, again, hundreds of years before. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, or Zion. Behold, your king, there's the word, is coming to you. Your king is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. That's the sign. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So why does Jesus do this? Well, again, yes, he's fulfilling, but also because kings don't just walk into cities. Kings ride into cities. Caesar rode into cities. Alexander the Great rode into cities. Conquerors, rulers, people who claimed that the city was theirs rode into cities. And Jesus intentionally rides to the capital city of a Roman province. And by doing so, he is saying, the city is mine. I am its king. In other words, the wave is building. It's building, but he's not just fulfilling as he rides. He is also reversing as he rides. Because when he rides in as a king, what does he ride in on? Well, every other king has ridden in on a great horse. And so, so you can imagine the disciples' excitement when Jesus says, All right, boys, fellas, time to announce my kingship. It's time to ride. They're like, oh, yeah, it is. They're like, who do you want, Jesus? We'll bring you, who do you want, Secretariat? Sea biscuit, <laughs> you know, bullseye from Toy Story. Yeah, a little small. No, we'll, we'll get you the next triple crown winner. Jesus says, no, bring me a donkey. Two commentators put it like this. If we choose to retain the triumphal entry title, we must do so with the greatest sense of irony. This entry by Jesus into Jerusalem is unlike any other triumphant processional familiar to first century people. It is not an imperial Roman grand propaganda parade heaping accolades on a king warrior for the successful incorporation of another province into the empire. That was Rome. It was a parade, certainly, but not that type of parade. The sad-eyed man riding into Jerusalem on a donkey that day was leading a funeral parade, his own. In other words, Jesus is making a mockery of power. He's showing you the kind of king who triumphs not by power, but by weakness and lowliness. And in doing so, he shows us the kind of salvation we really, really need. What do I mean? I mean this. Look at the crowd that day. Why are they cheering? Why are they waving the palm branches? Oh, they're cheering because they thought they finally had a warrior who could deliver them 
from the Romans. They see blind eyes open. What do you think he's going to do to the Roman soldiers, right? The Romans were the bad guys, the ones ruining the country, corrupting their kids. They wanted and were cheering for a king to do for them what they wanted, which was to kill and evict the Romans. They weren't, by contrast, coming and asking, God, what do you want to do in our lives? No, they're saying, God, here's what we want in our lives. Sure hope you can be a part of it. Oh, but by riding in on a donkey, Jesus is saying, the kind of salvation and deliverance my administration brings is fundamentally different. The crowd wanted someone to ride to the Capitol, descend the steps from the jet, do a big rally, give a big campaign speech, promise to bring judgment on their political enemies. Oh, no, but Jesus came to bear judgment for his political enemies. The crowd wanted someone to deliver them from evil on the outside, and evil on the outside should stop. Oh, but Jesus came to deliver every human from evil on the inside. In other words, he came to end evil without having to end us. What does all this mean? It means this. That almost always, I think when we come to God, we come with our expectations of the thing we think he needs to fix. We come wanting him to fix our situation. And let me tell you, I know some of your situations need to get fixed. Not disputing that. But Jesus says, I want to fix you. We want that person over there to change. And they probably, actually, they should change. (laughs) But he also wants the person in here to change inside. Oh, but we don't want that. I don't want that. We hate, I hate that kind of salvation, which only shows how badly we need it. And the people in the crowd that day came not just to misunderstand, but because they misunderstood, they came to hate the kind of salvation Jesus came to bring. Think about it. That kind of salvation. It isn't riding on a tank or a jet, not on a war horse, but on a beast of burden. And as the last week of Jesus' life went on, from Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the Romans went nowhere, they were still in power. Now the crowds turned on him. And some of the very same people who sang his praises in the crowd were likely, almost certainly, some of the ones calling for his execution a few days later. Are you disillusioned with God today? Maybe it's because you've been like one of the people in the crowd. I've been that person. We miss the essence, the currency of his salvation. James Earl Massey, Dr. Massey, the great black preacher and professor, he said this. He said, you know what? People sing the song, God bless America, and we should. But he asked, do you ever stop and think we might not like it if he did? (laughs) You ever thought about the fact that we might not like it if God blessed America like Jesus blessed Jerusalem that week? Hmm? What if he blessed us in the way we needed it, not just the way we wanted it? The wave began. The wave built. And now here in number three, the wave begins to break. Because he doesn't just restore or ride. Number three, he receives. What does he receive? Well, the crowd begins now shouting yet another messianic kingly claim at him. This one's from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why are they shouting this? It's because they figured it out in their minds. They think they know what's happening. They see the restoring. They see the riding. And what does Jesus do when they shout this at him? Well, as a human being, here's what he receives. 
He receives their worship. People praise him as king, and he doesn't refuse it. And this pushes the city leaders over the edge. Look at what they say over in Luke's gospel about this exact moment, Luke 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, (laughs) rebuke your disciples. Because they understood exactly what the crowd was saying. Do you? Jesus is announcing himself as both God and king, which is blasphemy, unless it's true. So what will Jesus do? He's got one last chance here to deny it. Hmm? One last second to say, no, y'all got it all wrong. Simmer down, folks. No, what does he say? Verse 40, he said, I tell you, you all, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. He's not being accidental or flippant. No, he's pushing the wave, building the wave, directly quoting Isaiah 55, 12, which said this about the kind of kingdom the Messiah was going to bring. The mountains and the hills will break forth in a shouts of joy before him. See, Jesus is pushing the limits of what any human being could say about themselves. And as he's riding like a king, receiving praise like a king, where does the king ride? Come on. He doesn't ride to the governor's mansion. He doesn't go to Herod's house and knock on the door. He rides to the Jewish temple and he dismounts. He gets off his donkey. He looks up. He lifts his head. And what does he call it? He says, this is my house. He calls the Jewish temple his house. And then it says he stood there and the blind and the lame, those who were forbidden to enter the temple, streamed to him, came to him, and he healed them. Power went out from him and he offered them access back into God's presence through him. What kind of a person (laughs) miraculously restores the blind, rides into a city like a king, receives praises God and then sets up his base camp in the middle of the most sacred place on the planet. Only someone who claims to be king over everything. Now, that's what Jesus is doing. Why is he doing it? He's not doing it because these people or these religious leaders were forcing his hand. Like, ah, shucks, you got me cornered. Got to lay my cards down. No, as if he were under pressure. No, they're not forcing his hand. Jesus is forcing their hand. They have not created this wave. Jesus has on purpose. He's intentionally confronting them and confronting us still today, saying at this point, now you got a choice. You either have to crown me or you're going to have to kill me. See, this passage is not supposed to thrill you. It's supposed to unnerve you. Get under your skin, into your mind. Dr. Reynolds Price, an English professor at Duke many years, said this about the Gospel of John, but it goes the same for Luke as well. He said, if 2,000 years of pious handling had not dimmed our understanding of the story, his gospel would still be seen as the burning outrage it continues to be. It is either a work of madness or blinding revelation. The acts it portrays, the claims it advances from the very first paragraph demand that we make a hard choice. If we take the gospel writer seriously, we must ask the question he thrusts so fragrantly toward us. Does he bring us a life-transforming truth Or is this one gifted lunatic's tale of another lunatic wilder than he? 
And I'll surprise you saying, forget what you've been taught. Forget your Sunday school, perhaps. Forget what that rabbi, priest, pastor, whoever told you the church hurt that you got, you maybe didn't get. He said, no, no, no. Just ask, what do Jesus' actions here mean for you and for me? Three objections to what you've heard so far, perhaps. Number one, you may be saying, okay, Morgan, this is all great, but these writers made it all up. I want to tell you, that's highly likely almost impossible. There is no other kind of literature like this until centuries later. Now we read novels, uh, stories. They've got nice details in there. We think that's what they're supposed to have to make them realistic. But that kind of writing didn't exist then. Go read Homer. Go read Virgil. Any of their contemporaries. Matthew's contemporaries. Luke's. There's nothing like this. Why? Because the gospel writers were concerned not with inventing a new kind of literature. They were concerned with getting it right. Second objection. You may say, well, okay. They didn't make it up, but somebody later on changed it. Right? The fix was in. The gospels were changed. I want to tell you, that's actually a harder intellectual dead end than the first objection. Here's why. While it's true we do not have the original New Testament manuscripts today, we do have something better. Thousands and thousands of copies that can be compared and contrasted like no other work from antiquity. If someone actually had the original, it could be changed or altered. Hmm? But the thousands of copies across lands and languages, plus the writings of the church fathers, which include like every single quote from the New Testament, except for like two or three verses, ensure that what you have in your hands and on your phone and on your desktop today is what those writers wrote. Third, you say, fine. They wrote what actually happened. But come on, Jesus was nuts. He was crazy. He keeps on thinking, does he not, that everything's about him. Is not Jesus a little bit, maybe a lot, self-centered hmm? when he claims the whole universe is about him? Come on, you've seen people like that on social media. You kind of scroll and move on, don't you? But have you ever seen someone at the same time he insists everything is about him, turns around and gives away everything he has? I mean, have you ever seen someone more gentle towards women? more loving towards lepers, more inclusive of the poor. There's no one else in history like him. His claims are outrageous, but so is his character. So is his person. So what will you do when the wave he's created comes crashing round the corner for you? Let me give you some advice, if I could. And you say, Morgan, you're already doing that, okay. I'll tell you what you don't do. Here's what you don't do. When the wave comes, you don't bring on Jesus as your intern. <laughs> you don't hire him as your assistant. You don't drive through Starbucks. Order your skinny boy, you know, decaf mocha latte, you know, with extra two pumps of foam. You don't go to his Facebook page and like him. Because you can't say, oh, I like the loving part of Jesus, but the whole king of my life thing, I can't take that. You can't say, I want one part of Jesus in my life, but not the other. That'd be like me on my wedding day. Could you imagine looking across from Carrie 22 years ago and saying, I like looking forward to the whole intimacy part of marriage with you. I like the emotional support. I like the dinners you'll perhaps cook or the laundry perhaps you'll do. And thank God you rescued me from those terrible roommates I had. But the female part of you, the emotional part of you, the part of you that asks me to be faithful to you and not step out on you, I don't want that. Keep your claims off me, woman. 
Now let's get married. <laughs> Hang on. Women, what would you do if that were you in that moment? What would you say in return? Probably something you can't say in church right now. <laughs> and if you and I feel that, think that when it comes to marriage, how much more can Jesus Christ, if he's King and Lord, look across from us and ask for that same kind of devotion and commitment? As a British cricket player, C.T. Study was the LeBron James of his day. He said when leaving behind a pro sports career to go to do missionary work in India, he said this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And he's right. Okay. Now I know by this time, this is hard for some of you to hear. Like, I know some of you, you're only staying in your seat, perhaps because you're stuck in the middle. <laughs> but I hope I've captured some of the tone here in the text. And I've tried to press you with what I think Jesus is pressing us with here. I know it's pressed me this week. It's hard to be pressed like this this week. My heart was pressed by looking at all of this. And then I saw one little detail which helped me trust Jesus all over again. And I hope what you're about to see helps you trust him all over again as well. Maybe even for the first time today. Jesus here does one final thing, which helps us all not be drowned by the wave he creates, but helps us to swim in the current of life he sends our way. Number four, he finally, he reveals. What does Jesus reveal? Let's go back, if we could, to that moment on the donkey, because you have to catch this detail about that day, the day, day the wave began. It wasn't just any donkey that he rode in on. It was one, it said, on which no one yet had ever sat. And think about it. What does it take for an animal to let you ride it? Some of you ever try to hop on the back of your dog? Your cat? Your turtle? Well, like, you know, that's not too hard, but... But could you just, on a horse, could you just hop up and ride whatever you wanted to? No. What has to happen to that animal first? It has to be what? Tamed, broken, trained. But no one's ever ridden on this animal, and yet Jesus rides it. It allows Jesus to ride it, and not just in a quiet backyard or some ranch out in Wyoming somewhere, but through a screaming crowd, waving palm branches in its face. What does this mean? D.A. Carson, theologian, puts it like this. In the midst of this excited crowd, an unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the one who also calmed the sea. This animal knows and loves its true master for who he is. This is a foreshadowing of the complete healing of all nature under the future kingship of Christ. Thus the event points to the peace of the consummated kingdom, Isaiah 11. Then the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them all. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. It's beautiful. So what does this mean for us today? It means this. If Jesus can heal the fear of the donkey just by its being in his mere presence, if Jesus can guide this animal without breaking it, if just the touch of Jesus brings out the best in an animal, what will his touch do for you? He's the only master who can ride us without breaking us, debilitating us. You understand? Listen, we're all going to be ridden by something in life. Most of us spend our lives making all kinds of things our masters. Our education, sex, pleasure, 
relationships, uh, our work, a political candidate, having to make sure we got a reputation. But I want to tell you, all of those will destroy. They will break us, ride us into the ground. You say, oh, but if I serve Jesus, what will happen to my life? I want to tell you, only the same thing that happened to this beloved creature, new honor, new dignity, new restoration. In other words, like this donkey, when you serve Jesus, you will find the very purpose for which you've been created. And therefore, no matter who is screaming at you in life, you don't have to react. You don't have to buck and bolt. And you'll be able to walk through any crowd with confidence. Jesus here reveals his heart to us. He hadn't come to break us, but to bless us. Bless us. And I want to tell you, you can trust a king like this. You can. He doesn't exploit. He doesn't use. He blesses those who trust him. And therefore, if you feel like, Jesus, you're asking me to do something real hard right now. I'm not sure I can go through all that crowd of whatever, the crowd of emotion, crowd of difficulty, crowd of an uncertain future. Listen, Jesus is with you all the way to the end, all the way to the end, because he's not just your ride or die. He's your ride, and he died. And he rode that donkey all the way into the city where he came down and was eventually arrested and executed. And the only crown this king got was a crown of thorns. And because he wore it and he didn't refuse it, he rode the wave he created to the cross. And he died to prove that he loves you. And you can trust him with your life. And then he rose from the dead because Sunday's coming to prove that he's God. And again, you can trust him. He deserves it. And today, on this Palm Sunday, my prayer I hope you'll gladly give that to him. The old hymn says, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark, how the heavenly music drowns all anthems but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing, for he hath died for thee. Now hail him as thy matchless king for all eternity. Hope you can say amen to this. Let me take a moment and pray for us. Lord, I come to you today. We come to you today. Lord, understanding, I hope we have to respond to your claims, to your actions, to what you did for us. We can't ignore it and turn it away. Lord, don't allow pious handling to dim what you've done. I want to pray today for two groups of people. You're here in the room, you're here online, wherever you are, and you say, man, I'm going through a thing. Like that donkey, I'm faced with trying to navigate a crowd. Oh, everything's screaming at me. Emotions screaming at me. Difficulty. I can't even see my way through. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Lord, would you help these hands raised, hearts raised? Would you come to these? And would your mere presence calm them? Lord, I'm praying for every heart, my own included, to allow you your rightful place. Would you lead us through places we can't get to on our own? We don't have to react. We can walk with confidence today, I pray. And second, if you're here and you're saying, I've never given my life to Jesus. I didn't even expect something like this kind of walking in, but I just understand today's my day. I got to respond. Would you now in this moment, would you raise your hand right here? I don't care who you came with. I don't care where you are. Would you just raise your hand? It's a sign saying, I surrender to you. King, yeah, if that's you, would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you and I acknowledge you for who you are, Savior, 
God, would you forgive me for all the times I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it? Would you receive me now into your kingdom? Would you change me from the inside? Would you make me your child? By your grace, I surrender my life to you now in this moment. Would you send your Holy Spirit as you promised to live inside me and make me new? Thank you, Jesus. Pray these things today. His name. Amen. Amen. Hey, yeah. Praise God. Listen. Uh, if, you, if you pray that prayer, we sure would want to talk to you afterward, help you take your first steps in following Jesus. Our prayer team is going to be here at the end of our time. Pastor Barnabas, would you come up? Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.